Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. Welcome. So glad you are in worship with us, whether here in person or online. So glad you've chosen to worship uh, in spirit and truth at Revolution Church this morning. Just welcome. It's just good to see you guys. All right. Would you uh, join me in prayer as we uh, begin to open the word? God, we just ask your Holy Spirit would come now, uh, continue to move among us. Would you open our hearts and open our ears? to the word that you have prepared for us to hear this morning. Would the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, O God, be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Not sure how many of you all are familiar with the show This Is Us. We're finishing up in Kanto this morning. Okay, so like stay with me. Just a small... Um, but in the show, This Is Us, Randall Pearson and his wife Beth play this game. It's like a part of their marriage where they say, worst case scenario. And what they do is that in a moment when they feel like anxiety is really, really high, they stop and they pause and they say, okay, let's play, worst case scenario. And they go back and forth and share with each other their greatest fear in that moment. Their greatest fear of what could happen, of what might happen, of how it could impact their future. And it's a way for them sort of like, they say, get it out of our system. <laughs> it's that they, they name the fear, no shame, no judgment from each other, like their biggest, greatest, most irrational fear that could happen. And they just get it out. No shame or judgment from the other. And it's a way that they can kind of move through their fear together. And it's sort of this endearing part of their story because they end up sharing it with their three teenage daughters after they move to a new city. And they say, should we let them in on the secret? And all five of them stand in a circle and play worst case scenario. And they get to share their greatest fear with each other about moving to a big city and starting over. right? And the girls get to combat their fear with their parents together. It's really sweet. It's a really sweet moment. It's a powerful exercise, too, of course, because we know that fear is a powerful source in our lives and in our world. <laughs> we, we know this. We, we can be taught from a very young age to fear the world around us, to fear strangers, and many of us fear the future of what could happen. We've even seen many political and social, even religious leaders at time, use fear, manipulate, use it to organize people according to their particular position or, or stance or movement to gain power, to maintain power in our structures of the day. Fear is a powerful source, right? Basic human fear. It's a common experience and a very powerful force. So throughout our series of Encanto, stay with me, okay? Throughout our series based on Encanto, uh, we have seen fear play a, a pretty big role in the family dynamics. Debbie, this is not playing today, so I'm going to let you do it. Listen, it's just a few slides, so just stay there, and then scripture. That's what we got today, so yeah, it should be okay. Fear has played a pretty big role in the family dynamics of the family Madrigal. We've seen that fear over losing their home and the miracle has motivated Abuela and how she kind of runs the show. Fear over not getting a gift and trying to find her place in the family motivated Mirabelle to make her family proud and find the vision, fix the magic, right? Her fear over not getting a gift. Fear over losing a gift 
and what's going to happen because her whole worth was found and what she could do for other people is kind of how we described Louisa last week. Fear over marrying the wrong person because you're stuck in this particular role, stuck fulfilling the expectations of everybody else to be perfect is what motivated Isabella. And then there's just in general for the whole family this, this fear and misunderstanding of one another, right? Of not truly being able to see each other and the gifts that they have and their worth for who they are sort of separate from their gift, right? The miracle is you, not, not some gift, just you. And their misunderstanding of one another led to lots of confusion and fear and doubt. And what we've seen played out over the last couple of weeks is how much this really impacts their family dynamic and their inability to really see and love one another correctly. And we've also seen how this can play out in our own family lives and in our own church family as well. How fear can really motivate and divide us. Fear of each other, fear of the unknown, fear of the future, fear of who may be different, fear that we don't have a gift to contribute. We don't like talking about it, we don't like naming it, but fear is a powerful force. It really is. And I think no one in this family captures the fear more than the last family member we're going to talk about today. And that is Bruno. We don't talk about talk about we're, No, today we're going to talk about Bruno. We are. We're going to talk about Bruno. Because he's the one, arguably, who is most misunderstood and then because of that most feared in his family. I mean, there are legends about him. They say he saw the future, and one day he just disappeared. That's what Mirabelle knows, because she was really young when he just left, Tio Bruno. Right? They say he saw the future, and one day disappeared. They say he's seven feet tall with rats along his back. They say he can see your future, and it all goes black. That he sees your dreams, and he feasts on your screams. <laughs> I mean, there's this kind of legend. This is why... Logan doesn't watch the movie with me anymore because he thinks it's scary. I'm like, bummer. <laughs> I'm just watching it by myself. It's, it's no big deal. <laughs> it, the We Don't Talk About Bruno song scares him, right? He's painted as this sort of villain. Not only, he doesn't only, uh, not only does he predict the future, but he determines your future. Your fate is sealed when your prophecy is read, right? That's what the townspeople say. He's blamed for all these really bad things happening. He said my fish would die, and the next day it was dead. He said I was going to lose my hair, and just like he said, I'm bald now. He's blamed for ruining his sister's wedding. As he said, it looks like rain, and then she gets married in a hurricane, right? He's blamed for all of these really bad things happening. And so what comes to happen in this family, one thing's for sure, we don't talk about Bruno. We just don't talk about him anymore. Just too much bad has happened. There are a lot of families who have a Bruno. Right? There are a lot of families with either a person or an episode, an event, a story in their lives, in their past, that they just don't want to talk about anymore. And at the root of a lot... A lot of these Brunos in our families is, is really just a lot of misunderstanding, right? A lot of hurt feelings, a lot of anger, and even deeper than that, oftentimes a lot of fear. And so many of us, we just want to move on. 
We just want to get past that. We don't want to talk about it anymore. But the truth is, the Brunos in our lives and our families, they have a way of, of staying and of festering and of causing cracks in our family relationships and lives. There's so much fear, right? Fear of being hurt again, fear of something bad happening again, just a lot of fear. And as it turns out, so this is what Bruno actually looks like, right? There are legends of this scary villain, but like this is sweet, goofy, strange Bruno and his family. This is what he actually looks like. And as it turns out, he could, he, it's, it's not that he predicts the future. His gift that he's given is that he sees visions of the future. He can, he can see visions of the future. He doesn't determine or control the future. He doesn't cause bad things to happen. He doesn't see why or how things even happen. He just gets pictures, visions, snapshots. And what that actually is is the truth, right? Like he sees visions, and they are true. And a lot of times his family doesn't like that, right? It scares them. It makes them uncomfortable. They don't understand his gift, it's, it was the most misunderstood gift in the family. Dolores says in one of the songs, we don't talk about Bruno, it's a heavy lift with a gift so humbling, always left Abuela and the family fumbling, grappling with prophecies they couldn't understand. Couldn't understand it. And that's what happens often when we don't understand something, when we don't understand one another, when we don't, uh, when we misunderstand, we often fear what we don't know, right? We often fear it. So this is what Mirabelle has set out to do, of course. She is determined to make her family proud, save the miracle, find the vision. And so she goes on this quest, just to kind of catch you up before I show you a clip. She goes on this quest to find Bruno's vision that said something about why the magic is in trouble. And what ends up happening is that she ends up finding Bruno himself, and learning the truth about what happened that night so many years ago when she didn't get a gift, and the miracle kind of started fracturing, right? So let's take a look now uh, at this clip. Just tell me. I can't tell you, because I don't know. I had this vision the night that you didn't get your gift. Abuela worried about the magic, so... She begged me to look into the future, see what it meant. And I saw the magic in danger, our house breaking. And then, then, then I saw you, but the vision was different. It, it would change. And, and there was no one answer, no clear fate, like your future was undecided. But I knew how it was going to look. I knew what everyone would think because I'm Bruno and everyone always assumes the worst, so... So... You... left... to protect me? I don't know which way it'll go, but... but my guess, the family, the encanto, the fate of the miracle itself... Oh, it's all going to come down to you. Well, maybe I'm wrong. I love that scene. He left to protect Mirabelle. He left because of how much he loved his family. His gift wasn't helping or serving the family. And did you catch that part that he said? 
I knew what it looked like. I knew what people think because everyone always, I'm Bruno, everyone always assumes the worst. So I left. Later, when he goes to like see again and have this vision again with Mirabelle's encouragement, he says, yeah, I know what people are going to say. Like, I'm Bruno, I'm creepy, and I make bad things happen. Like He sort of, you know, absorbed this. He knows that people just expect the worst out of him, motivated by a lot of this fear. His gift wasn't helping, so he leaves. But as it turns out, if you've seen the movie, you know, clearly he doesn't go far. <laughs> He's been living in the walls of the house this whole time, in a room behind the walls, just kitchen adjacent. So he can still eat with the family on the other side of the wall. He's been there the whole time. And you, there's honestly, there's some clues that some of the family knows this, that they know that, that he's been there the whole time. Like Dolores thought she could hear him. And, you know, maybe Julieta, like, makes some extra food and, like, gives it to him on the side, right? But just no one talks about it. We don't talk about Bruno. We know he's here. We know he's in height. We know he's ostracized from the family, but we just don't talk about it. One part, uh, Mirabelle says, family weirdos get a bad rap. <laughs> family weirdos sometimes just get a bad rap. The house is cracking. The miracle is trouble, largely because of what this family has failed to address. Because of what they have failed to see and value in each other, how they've underestimated and undervalued each other. They've, they've blamed Bruno, made him this scapegoat. And it ultimately leads to their whole house falling. Their whole house falling. Too often in life it's these things we're not willing to talk about, not willing to name and address that cause these fractures. Things that have been hidden away and, and closed off and, and kept in secret. Like I said a few minutes ago, they can fester. They can turn into this resentment and doubt and hurt and fear. And before we know it, it's a, it's a crumbling mess ready to fall. And so that's kind of our setup this morning. I want you to hold on to this for just a second while we go to turn to Scripture now. Because the truth is, uh, Jesus knows a lot about this. And what happens when things are left in secret and in the dark? And, and, and what happens when we let fear motivate us? Okay, so we're going to turn now uh, to Matthew chapter 10. I'm going to read some scripture for us. I'm going to just preface this by saying it's sort of an odd passage. But I'm gonna, we're going to get there. We're going we're, we're to pull these two things together at the end. And we're going to move through this passage kind of chunk by chunk because it's really important but it's honestly one that preachers and teachers, we like to skip it. We don't like to talk about this passage because it's odd and a little challenging. So I thought, why not? <laughs> why not today? Let's go. <laughs> um, so just bear with me, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And we're going to read Matthew 10, verses 16 through 23, and then 26 through 39. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. 
For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child. And children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. So have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who's in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Here we go. You ready? Honestly, y'all have never taught on this one before. There's a reason, right? There's a reason we like to skip this part. Of scripture, it's a little confusing. It's a little, um, doesn't seem to fit in with maybe other things that Jesus teaches. But I think it's important about this message that Jesus is trying to get at here. I just think for a second, sort of at the beginning, I feel like he's playing worst case scenario with the disciples, Okay. He's saying, he's a, he, this is part of the missionary discourse in the, in the Gospel of Matthew. Before he, he's just called the disciples for the first time. This is early in the Gospel, chapter 10. He's called the disciples, and he's about to send them out for the first time. And he's playing worst-case scenario with them. Hey, what's your biggest fear of what's going to happen? And you can imagine some of their responses. My family's going to disown me. I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be drugged into the courts. I'm going to be put in prison. I'm, I'm going to be killed. Greatest fear, right? And Jesus is like, okay, yes. (laughs) Don't expect them to treat you any better than they treated me. It's a weird pump-up speech. (laughs) It's terrifying. Worst case scenario, get it out of your system. But do not fear. Why? Three times he says that. Do not fear. Because if I'm with you, who can stand against you? Do not fear the one who can kill your body, only the one that's with your soul, right? What he's saying is you only fear God. That's me, (laughs) and I will be with you. All these things, they may come to pass, but do not fear. 
verses 26 and 27. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known when I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. So what there's sort of this like... Um, we call it an apocalyptic theme in the Gospel of Matthew. Sort of this like end times, lots of like, you know, the scripture about like, and in that day of judgment there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, like other kind of scary passages of scripture we like to skip over. Those are also in the Gospel of Matthew. Because all along there's kind of this sense of urgency about that day coming when Jesus will return, the judgment day. There's a sense of urgency to this message. And you can feel it as he sends Jesus, as Jesus sends out the disciples, right? So I want you to hear that this is sort of a theme. And what he's talking about here is that in that day, all things shall be revealed. Every, anything that was hidden and kept in secret, whether it's good or bad, you think about maybe even some bad or, or evil things, what's, what's kept in the dark, on that day, it shall come to light. And on that day... When Jesus returns and, and Jesus will, will handle everything and, and deal with everything and have that day of judgment and Jesus will reign. And finally, all of the cosmos will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? So everything's going to come to the light. All that once was hidden will be brought to the light. And I, I hear Julian of Norwich in my head as well. And all shall be well and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. What he's telling them is the end of the story is good. If it's not good, it's not the end. So yeah, some bad is going to happen. Worst case scenario, let's play it out. But remember who you are. Okay, this is the pump-up speech he's trying to give them here. And so he says this, verses 29. Are, you, are, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. The God who created you, who knows you, who loves you so much that he knows the number of hairs on your head. That's the God we're talking about here. That's the God who provides everything we need. And in the end, at this day of reconciliation, it'll be this God who wins. This God reigns, so fear not. And then the last bit of verses 34 that make us go, oh. <laughs> do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. What? For many of us, right, this would be our worst-case scenario, our family at odds with each other, warring with each other, disagreeing, especially over matters of the faith and the lordship of Christ and, and how our, our values and how we live our life like that. If you're like me and you were raised in the church and inherited your faith from your parents, I mean, there's that, that hurts, right? That, I mean, that's like to your core. Worst case scenario is being at odds with these pillars of your faith, and so you ask, but isn't this sort of counter to Jesus' whole message? Like, isn't he the prince of peace? How can he come not to bring peace but a sword? Is this Jesus justifying violence here? Now, if we were to just pick this one line up out of all of Scripture and carry that, we might say, yeah. But we've got to read this in line with everything else that Jesus says about peace 
and about families. And, and just, you know, in a few chapters later, it's, it's going to be his disciple Peter who pulls out a sword to defend him. And he says, put that away. <laughs> put that away. So no, this is, not, this is not Jesus justifying violence. I think what Jesus is preparing them for and warning them of is that this message that I bring is going to turn the whole world upside down. It's going to be disruptive. And that's going to make some people mad. <laughs> that's not going to sit well with some folks. And so there will be some division because of this. I want you to hear sword not as violence, but as a divider, as a separator. I mean, any message that says Luke chapter 1, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Any message that begins with this, it's going to make some people mad. Especially if you are one who holds power and privilege in the world, who benefits from some of these structures at play in the world, this is a disruptive message, right? We don't want to feel like the proud are going to be taken down and the rich are going to be sent away empty. I mean, that's, that's offensive. And yet this is the message that Jesus brings about this work that he's come to do to bring the kingdom of God that's unlike any kingdom that we've tried to build here. The people in charge look a whole lot different, right? This is going to cause some trouble, he's telling them. This upside-down kingdom of God that I'm bringing, it, it may put your families at odds with each other. Not everybody is going to be able to hang with this message. But whoever takes up his cross and loses his life for my sake will find it. That's the most hopeful line in the whole weird passage of Matthew 10. Whoever takes up his cross and loses his life for my sake will find it. So there's a scene at the end of Encanto, toward the end of the movie, when, when Bruno finally reunites with his family. The house has fallen. He, he offers his apologies. His sisters embrace him. His mother embraces him. He comes back. He's forgiven and reconciled to the family. And what was once hidden behind the walls of their home is now the truth that is revealed. Ignored and not talked about, now it's brought to light and healed. And it's only from this place that the family is able to, to rebuild their home. Right? This time with the help of the village. But they're able to rebuild their new home. And so you're kind of left with this message at the end that like maybe, maybe their house needed to fall. <laughs> maybe their house needed to fall because it was built on a faulty foundation. It was built on this mentality that your worth is only in, in what you can do for other people and this magical gift that you have to earn. It's built on these secrets that you just don't talk about that are hidden away. These super sort of kind of like problematic situations and relationships are just, nope, we don't talk about that. Abuela keeps going. So do we. And there's cracks in this family and in this house 
And when it's all brought to light with the truth-telling and reconciliation, and now with these house rules kind of adjusted, they, they now have a new foundation of love and of seeing one another rightly and of, of celebrating one another for who they are and not what they can do. Like this is a new foundation that they are able to build a sturdier and healthier home upon. And again, it's a Disney movie, and so like it all, it's a happy ending, right? Like we would, we would love for all of our families to be reconciled in this way. You know, like you, for you to have the courage of Maribel to like confront like what you think is the problem person in your family that has caused all of these things to go wrong, and she like accepts the message 10 minutes later. Wouldn't that be nice? But I think the message for us here. It's not one we like to hear. It's not, like we, it's not one we like to talk about. But part of the truth here is that sometimes things need to fall. Last week we sang a song. I don't remember the title. Daryl, you might need to help me. Fall away, maybe? <laughs> here were some of the lyrics. It's asking God, come and fill this room. Anything apart from you, let it fall away. Let it fall away. If it's not what you want to do, anything apart from you, let it fall away. Do you all realize what a bold prayer you sang last week? Oh, asking Jesus, Lord, let it fall away. If it's not of you, if it's not what you want to do, if it's not on the foundation of Jesus Christ as our Lord, anything that's not serving that purpose and that mission and that goal, let it fall away. And we may have sung that really, really boldly on Sunday, but then we face Monday, and you're like, ouch, that hurts. <laughs> Letting things actually fall away from your life or fall away from a community of believers, anything div- divisive or, or destructive or disruptive in that way, like we like the end result. We want that, but going through that process, that is painful. That is hard. There's grief and fear there because there's a lot of lost love there. But I think the message for the church here in in our sort of Bruno story is if the foundation is on anything other than Jesus Christ, our firm foundation, our rock, if the work we are doing is anything other than taking up our cross daily and following him to our death so that we might live and love and see our neighbors rightly, then we got to pray boldly to let it fall away. There is no room here for secrets. There's no room here for people to be overlooked, cast out, ignored. There is no room for us to not talk about it, to not talk about the hard stuff. There's no room for us for gossip or suspicion or to assume the worst in each other. I'm talking here about this family of God. Right? There's no room for that in the kingdom of God because all that has been hidden and kept secret and locked away, it's coming out in the light. Because Christ is light. And because in the light, that is where healing and reconciliation and truth-telling happen. And it's that truth that will set us free. We need to let it come to the light. Right? We need to let it come to the light. There's another Methodist pastor, uh, Nathan Webb, who wrote an article about Encanto and kind of spiritual gifts. Lots of people have done this, have kind of tried to take a stab at a series on Encanto, whether you talk about, you know, spiritual gifts, 
uh, and who we are if you talk about um, all the things we don't talk about, maybe, right, when it comes to church and being community. And, and he said this uh, kind of difficult truth that I, I, I pondered on. It might be that the church has spent a lot of time building up practices, walls, and buildings, but not spent enough time reminding people of the gift that came before all the others, the community offered through Jesus Christ. Gifts are great. But the greatest gift is all, of all is still and always will be Jesus. If we forget that, we're begging for our foundation to give in to the pressure. And tick, 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 that's part of the you know, lyric of Louisa's song, till it's ready to blow. So maybe, just maybe, the house needed to break in Encanto. And maybe some destruction is necessary in order for us to get back to building upon the only true foundation, a relationship founded in Jesus. Y'all, I mentioned this the first week of talking about and what is the greater way of these gifts are great, these spiritual gifts and how you're blessed, that's great. But the greater gift still, the greatest gift is the gift of love and Jesus Christ shared among a community. So just being here and being a part of this family and, and belonging, that is belonging in Christ together, many members being built together into the dwelling place of the divine, that's the greatest gift. You being here, a part of this family. And maybe, just maybe, some destruction needs to happen. And that's a hard word to hear, but I'm hoping a hopeful word for us to hear this morning. Because I know in our lives and in our churches and in many ways as a nation over the past several years, we've experienced some destruction. We've experienced some falling away. And it's been hard and it's been painful. But if our foundation is firm in Jesus Christ, then we already know the end of the story. Then we already know that all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. Because in the, in the end, God and God's love wins. And so I want Bruno to be a reminder to us this morning, I think this is our last slide, that there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. I want this to be our reminder this morning to not fear one another, to not fear anyone who could hurt us apart from Christ. If God is with us, who could stand against us? To, to not fear the truth, because honestly, that's a lot of what they sort of demonized Bruno for, is that he just showed him a vision of the truth. Prophets are never accepted in their hometown. <laughs> Killing the messenger who only brings a message of truth. Do not fear the truth and do not fear talking about hard things and a spirit of love among your brothers and sisters in Christ and to not fear the future. Because when things are brought to the light, that's where our healing and reconciliation can begin. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are and for how... Your promises and your blessings are sure even in the hard messages. God, even when we're talking about things that we really don't want to talk about, things that are divisive or destructive or have caused pain, but God, often, God, we know too, too often we bottle that up, we, we push it aside, nothing gets resolved, it just festers down deeper. Whether that's in our families, in our friendships, or here in our church. So God, would you give us the courage 
the courage to not fear the unknown, but to lean in together, to not fear talking about the hard things because, God, you, we know that you've, you've given us the end of the story, and if we are in Christ, we will be resurrected with Christ. We will have the victory in Christ. We don't have to fear anything that this world may launch at us. So help us find courage together. Help us find strength together to face the unknown. And help us to love one another through it as we seek to come to the light and find your peace and your healing and your victory there. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for the gift of this church family. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.